Hello and welcome to another episode of The Daily Objective. Today it's going to be me, Daniel, usually behind the scenes, but today I'm again in front of the camera and joining me today is Morgan. Morgan, how are you doing? Not too bad, man. How are you? I'm I'm all right, although I learned I'm going to pay millionaire's tax, so that's always fun. <laughs> Let's all mourn for Daniel's finances for next year. Uh and so today we're going to talk about uh, some comments that President Macron did uh but yeah. mm, specifically about how uh Israel's stated goal of destruction of Hamas is going to take decade. Uh but before that let's uh go over the news. Morgan do you have some news for us? Yeah, so we're in day 58 of the war, uh which I can't believe actually. It's it feels very quick uh, that this war has gone by. Um so the IDF death toll has been upped again by two soldiers. It's currently standing at 72 since the ground invasion in Gaza began. Overall, since the 7th of October, it's actually at 398. Sometimes it's a bit deceptively low at 72. So 72 since the ground invasion, 398 overall. Um, the major headline that was in the news today concerning the war uh, actually just came out in the last few hours. Um, the Houthis in Yemen, or I think maybe even in Lebanon, it's not clear exactly where they're launching from, um, have attacked um, Israeli and American ships. Now, the Israeli ships seem to be commercial, and that's something that's been going on <clears throat> fairly consistently, but the major American ship is a warship that's been attacked. So there's been a lot of speculation in the news about what this is going to represent. Is this going to represent an escalation of the war in the region, which is what people have been worried about for basically the whole time that the war's been going on? Uh, and I think that's a very credible worry. Um, if you think about the fact that it was the sinking of the USS Lusitania that brought America into the First World War, an attack on the USS Kearney could very plausibly bring greater intervention or aid to Israel's side in this war. So that's the kind of major item that's been in the news. There's also the IDF has announced being 800 tunnels that they've discovered underneath Gaza since they've gone in. Um, the tunnel network is, of course, a major way in which Hamas is able to um, navigate their way through Gaza and um, get their soldiers into certain strategic locations and launch attacks and so on and so forth. It's also where the hostages were reportedly most of them kept during their time in Gaza. Um, so of the 800 tunnels they've discovered, they said 500 have been sealed or destroyed. So they're trying to make major efforts to undermine this network, which is a good thing. Um, oh, and then the other major thing was that um, something we've been speaking about on the channel is that there's not been very much coverage of the sexual violence that went on in the 7th of October. And in fact, to the extent that it's been covered, actually some forces, especially in the British media, have been casting aspersions on it, kind of claiming that they haven't seen any evidence, even when the Israelis have put evidence forward and so on. Um, and something that was covered actually a fair bit in the Israeli media was that the Sunday Times, one of the major uh, weekend newspapers in the UK, dedicated their front page lead story to the testimony of one of the survivors of sexual assault or rape on the 7th of October. So that was something that's encouraging to see. That's something we've been advocating for on the channel. And although I don't think we had any effect on that, probably uh, it was nice to see. But Daniel, let's get into Macron's uh, comments. Uh, so we have two videos today. Uh, they are similar. Uh... That are similar at the end so we'll play the first one we'll play the whole clip and then with the second one we'll cut it off in like the middle of the first one is made by guardian so thank you for that and let's hear president macron je pense qu'on est à un moment 
où les autorités israéliennes vont devoir définir plus précisément leur objectif et l'état final recherché. La destruction totale du Hamas, qu'est-ce que c'est et est-ce que quelqu'un pense que c'est possible Si c'est ça, la guerre durera dix ans. Il n'y a pas de sécurité durable pour Israël dans la région si sa sécurité se fait au prix des vies palestiniennes et donc du ressentiment de toutes les opinions publiques dans la région. Soyons collectivement lucides. Et la position de la France ne change pas sur ce point. Je me rendrai, vous l'avez dit juste après, pour voir l'émir du Qatar, à la fois le remercier du travail qui a été fait et poursuivre ensemble le travail pour essayer d'engager une nouvelle trêve le plus rapidement possible, conduisant à cesser le feu. So, Morgan, what was your first reaction when you saw this? Um, basically, that Macron, it's a very strange thing for Macron to say. There's something right in it about, I think, people should question what Israel's objectives are in the sense that they've not been living up to them. So you can critique it, their objectives from kind of our perspective, I guess, and say, look, you're not really being serious about this. You're not really pursuing victory at all costs and so on. Um, But from his perspective, it's that the destruction of Hamas is impossible. Now, if what he means by that is because an awful lot of Hamas's leadership is residing in Qatar, you know, okay, but the elimination of Hamas in Gaza, he doesn't actually state why that's a 10-year objective and why also it being a 10-year objective is, is completely implausible. It would be terrible, of course, if the war in Gaza did last for 10 years. But let's not forget that this is basically a conflict which has been going on for 17 years if we at least count from 2006, right? So something that's awful about, I think, the side he's representing is they always seem to, they, you know, they're claiming they're striving for a ceasefire, for peace, for the, um, for the ending of conflict. Yet if any serious look at the history of this, they're perpetuating the conflict. They're dragging it out further. Um, although it would have been terrible for this conflict to have lasted between 20, 2006 and 2016, if it had lasted 10 years then, and... Um, have been finished in 2016, we'd be in a much better space now um, than we are. So I think he would need to articulate why it's unacceptable for it to last 10 years. And of course, I don't think there is any reason. Um, so that's my main first thought, but what did you think? So uh, I think you mentioned what I was going to mention, and, and I definitely noticed it for a while now that when you Uh, a lot of times when you have like completely diabolical like opposites, you actually yeah. like can get like agreements on. So like something like, yeah, like ask an objectivist and maybe like the really far left would say, uh, well, Hamas needs to define their goals. And it's like, yes, but we are going uh, on it from completely like different perspectives. And uh, yeah. there was a funny comment we had uh, on one of our shorts uh, in in the uh, last couple of days, which was something like... Uh, I can't remember it exactly, but uh, Ayn Rand is like, uh, or like she would be scared of. G oh, okay, I can't remember it specifically, but but it was something like that. Like uh, Jesus would be horrified of Ayn Rand, and it's like yeah, and that's a good thing. That that's the point. Yeah. Uh, so while I almost went into it op optimistically when I saw, oh, they should, you know, uh, he said more precisely define their objectives. And their final goal. Uh, one, I was like, okay, yeah, that, that's a good point. And on the other side, I was like, okay, actually, that's a really good point. And I went looking into it, like, okay, how precisely Israel has 
like stated this goal like we have heard i mean even we've said it and we've heard it a lot that the goal is the destruction of hamas but what does it mean really is i think a decent question and uh i can tell you a little bit uh, about it but can you think about what would what would it entail the complete destruction of hamas so the complete destruction of Hamas in Gaza, or just of a including people in Qatar and so on. Uh, I, 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 think mean, I guess that, that's part of the question. I guess. Yeah. What exactly? So, so that's a good starting point. I think if in terms of what it would mean in so the destruction of Hamas in Qatar, sorry, in Gaza, um, that would basically mean the eradication and and or capture of all of the fighters there who can be identified. Um, of the leadership structure, um, their means of communication, seizure of any arms, stockpiles that they've got, and so on. Um, and then, I, ideally, I think it would also mean that this would be a lot harder and would be a longer-term project. I think it would be breaking the um, connection of the civilians with Hamas. Right. Um, one of the considerations here is, well, is Hamas going to rise up again? And one of the things that he mentions, which I want to get onto, is in a minute is mentioned the resentment of all the public opinion in the region as if Israel doesn't have that resentment anyway um, so people bring up a kind of point about well is Israel by taking this military action not going to earn the resentment of the people in Gaza and then the sons who are young now in five years or so are going to be the new Hamas so that that's a legitimate concern <clears throat> and so I think ideally victory or the destruction of Hamas would mean breaking any kind of resurrection of them in five or ten years time but basically it means the eradication of the fighters their capture and of their infrastructure weapons and so on that's what i think the eradication of hamas in gaza would mean uh so i think you have it pretty much pretty much on point uh from what i've read uh one of the main thing which uh, i believe by this point they somewhat achieved it is to cut out the funding so make sure there is no funding coming in from Iran, from Qatar. Uh, one of the points they had that was the elimination of the leadership. And they mentioned specifically the the top three Hamas people that are in Qatar. And yeah, to hear, maybe I'm just, I just haven't found out, but um, I really am not sure how that, to what, to what extent can you achieve that? Like, how can you... Yeah you know, get rid of the people in Qatar. Um, yeah, and... it's, a, it, it's a good point. And it, it's a problem for wanting the total eradication of Hamas because the Qataris probably aren't going to give them up anytime soon. Um, but Sorry, I interrupted you actually. Go, if you had something to say, finish. finish what you uh, yeah, I, I was just going to... So th this like time, time-wise, like 10 years, I, I'm wondering if he just said it as like an exaggeration. Because like I, I I'm having a hard time like seeing how exactly would it take ten years. Like at this yeah. point, I believe from what I've last seen, uh, Israel controls about let's say half of northern Gaza, and they're already bombing the south Gaza and uh, are preparing invasion there. And we are two months in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously the biggest part would be uh, making sure. You, there are no like remnants in the tunnels since you know to eliminate Hamas you have to eliminate it completely and if you have like these cells uh, all around you haven't really achieved it uh... yeah 
No, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I I find his irritation with the idea of that being the goal a bit strange as well. Um, it because it feels a bit like saying, um, you know, France during World War Two, like the the objective of the free French government being what you want to de- destroy and eradicate all of the Nazis. Really, how are you ever going to do that? Um, you can't control what goes on in people's minds. Maybe by killing these Nazis, their sons will become Nazis one day. Um, and yeah, I mean that's true. And not all the Nazis in the world were eradicated in the Second World War. That didn't mean that the Nazi government wasn't destroyed and kicked out of France, right? And so they face a much less dangerous and powerful enemy in Hamas than they do the Nazi Germany. So um, actually their eradication destruction, I think, is fairly feasible. Um, I'm, just, I'm not like a military strategist or anything, but it, I, he certainly doesn't present any reason why it's impossible. And then just to reiterate the point I kind of already made is, Israel already has the resentment of all the people in the region um, since it was declared a state, right? So even though there's been kind of some progress with normalization talks in the last year, which I, which I would suppose has been kind of scuppered now, um, why why should they have to take that into account? Israel unfortunately has to take into account the public opinion of Western nations who are putting a lot of pressure on them. Um, but actually the public opinion of people in that region, that Israel, basically won't have that for a very long time, couldn't win the hearts and minds of, of Arab nations. So I thought that was an odd point as well. Uh, so another, so we mentioned, yeah, this point of, uh, yeah, the resentment of all the public opinion in the region, I think is what he specifically mentioned. And to some extent, I'm wondering, well, like, why would like Israel even need approval of those? Like it never had it. Israel was created while like, by being at war with all of the pretty much the rest of the Middle East, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just reminds it just reminds me of this like, uh, especially with the UN. There's so much like, well, everyone has to come together, everyone has to agree on everyone's opinion matters. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I I just don't know what to say about it, even. Yeah. Uh, it's the- I think it's the typical opinion of a, a Western governmental bureaucrat, right? Who can't, who has never really forced through anything decisively, any kind of project in their life. So their their failure is their norm, and so the idea that this would take ten years and probably never work anyway. If he were doing it, maybe that's true, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, but let's go on to the second clip. So uh, I actually, well, first I have a. I think I have like two more points. So one thing okay. that was also mentioned is uh, there is no security if it comes at the price of the Palestinian lives was one of the things he mentioned. And I'm struggling to like realize how would that work? Like how could you have a war with like no loss of lives? Or yeah. does he consider like even even if you have like incredibly safe war where like no civilians die you still kill milit well not military in gaza but you still kill militants uh, like a- again there is such a dis- disconnect uh and another point he brought up is a new truth uh, ha- uh needs to be like pursued as soon as possible and then leads to c- a ceasefire like and and then what i mean mm-hmm. Hamas is still going to be there. Are they going to be, okay, we had this one war. It's enough for us. Now we're now we're going to, like, not going to do anything. Of course they're going to attack again. They they know it works. Uh, 
and they know they'll get their people back because Israel will negotiate for the for the hostages. So, yeah, this sort of like, uh, I mean, we just had uh, uh, who was it, Henry Kissinger, who passed away. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. the famous pragmatist i mean his spirit lives on like this sort of like okay let's let's just have peace now let's just have peace now and it's like and then what like you you need to have principles like you need to have goals and uh yeah. i mean he says israel should have precise goals but what, what is he what is he thinking is going to happen well that i mean that i think is a very good point um because people in the West are banging on about how old they want is peace and so on. And yet there's no way I think you can seriously hold that opinion. And so I think what we, our, our leaders, a lot of our journalists are convicting themselves of is being essentially unserious. Um, their tone in speaking about the war is that they're very concerned. They're very, you know, they're taking this very seriously. They're appalled by the violence, violence on both sides and so on. But, if you don't have a, a look at the history of this and understand that this is, if there's a ceasefire now, that this will happen in two years' time, because it happened two years ago, right? It happened in 2021 and so on. Then you aren't really thinking about this. Like, I, we aren't geniuses, right? <laughs> we don't run nations. But that's a really important point. And if they addressed that and had some perspective on it, that would be one thing. But they don't. They don't do that at all. Um there's the kind of pseudo 60s hippie perspective that the Pope gives you about give peace a chance and all this kind of stuff. And Israel's done that. Israel's given peace many, many chances, right? And, you know, the Romans had it right. If you want peace, prepare for war. Should we play the second clip? Let's do it. Nous reconnaissons le droit d'Israël à se défendre. Mais dans le cadre du droit international, du respect du droit humanitaire et ce droit à se défendre ne peut en aucun cas être un droit à attaquer les populations civiles. Et donc je souhaite qu'on puisse à nouveau faire cesser les armes pour reprendre le travail humanitaire, la discussion politique et le travail sur la libération des otages. Aujourd'hui, il est suspendu, vous l'avez très bien dit. J'ai eu la discussion avec le président Herzog hier. Euh, on va avoir besoin de plusieurs jours de travail. L'objectif est à la fois de donner de la visibilité sur les conditions à nouveau de libération d'otages, aussi sur d'autres garanties de sécurité qu'Israël pourrait demander. Et donc c'est une négociation permanente qui se poursuit. Évidemment, nous restons très préoccupés et la position de la France ne change pas sur ce point. Je me rendrai, vous l'avez dit juste après, pour voir l'émir du Qatar, à la fois le remercier du travail qui a été fait et poursuivre ensemble le travail pour essayer d'engager une nouvelle trêve le plus rapidement possible, conduisant à cesser le feu. Uh, first, before you even say anything, I I love when like people use but in a sentence. In it, it like completely obliterates the whole sentence because and he there is that I mean you know saying Israel has a right to self defense, but I mean then you don't believe Israel has a right to self defense if you have to put the cl uh, uh, clarifiers. And uh, I know there, there's been very like famous and funny meme when uh, Russia attacked Ukraine when he said, "I I don't want a third world war." However, yeah. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts about this second clip? Yeah, no, I agree. There's a movie coming to mind now that you said that. There's I can't remember what it is, but um, it says that there's some line about whatever comes after the word "but" in a sentence is bullshit. 
and um, or whatever came before, but is bullshit. And that's completely true. Israel has the right to self-defense, but so setting a condition on it. And of course, it, what what is having a right? Having the right to something is a right is a freedom of action. So it's a permission, a sanction to go and perform an action. And the right to self-defense then is a freedom to go and take the actions necessary to defend itself. So Israel has had force used against it. And a right to self-defense means they have the freedom to use force in retaliation to defend themselves. Um, so Israel has the right to use force to defend itself. But the rules of international uh, international law and humanitarian rights, as he puts it, means that they can't... What exactly did he say? Uh... not does not give you in any way the right to attack civilians. Um, so again, I think that comes back to the essential unseriousness of it, because particularly in this context, I think there's a good question about whether in war in general you can get by like killing civilians. I think probably the answer in modern warfare is no. But particularly in this context of what is constantly pointed out, one of the most urbanly dense populations on earth, where Hamas, the government of the region, uses its civilians as shields, how do you do that? You, you can't. You can't wage war without, unfortunately, there being casualties from the Gazan population, right? So there's either some, he's essentially unserious or he doesn't actually believe in Israel to have a right to self-defense. And really what but means in that sentence is except Israel has a right to self-defense, except they can't do this. So therefore, they don't have a right to self-defense. Um, so so that's the, the thing that jumped out to me, as it did for you. Yeah, and when you talk about this unseriousness, uh, especially like even when the Russia-Ukraine conflict happened, but especially now with the Israel, I'm uh, I'm amazed, and I'm almost like I'm I'm thinking I'm crazy because uh, I see this like you know big leaders, leaders of the country talking, and I when they talk about it, it doesn't make sense, and whenever I hear that, I'm like, uh, okay, am I just like completely out of my picture now and I, I and I don't know what's happening or is like this person who should know better as a leader of the country just doesn't know uh and yeah but even when he talked about the international law doesn't give you a right to attack civilians I mean we don't really consider international law as law but even there under international law if you use if you basically do put a human shield into practice if you have if uh, there is uh, even civilian infrastructure that is contributing to the war effort it loses its protection so that's why israel can uh, even under international law to some extent uh, target these you would call them civilian structures if they are used for military purpose the biggest we've seen was with the al-shifa hospital the the tunnels under it were used as headquarters for Hamas, and to that yeah. extent, Israel could even, you know, under international law, attack it. Yeah. So I, I would suspect. Also, with international law, one of the things that people don't often cite when they cite international law is they don't cite the actual documents they're referring to, the treaties, the conventions, whatever. However. I would have to think as a body of law, knowledge, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> it would have to, I think, probably in some way be contradictory because the people who are ad advocating for it, um, yeah, as you say, basically end up contradicting either themselves or the international law they're referring to, right? So recently I've been listening to a lot of um, 
Alistair Campbell's podcast, which is why I'm bringing up on the podcast a lot. And one of the things that he said, and he's very pro uh, Palestine. Uh, Razi told me off today about saying Palestine, but you, you know what I mean, right? Uh, pro Hamas, pro Gaza, whatever. Um, so he's very pro them, and he even you know interviewed the unofficial ambassador uh, of Hamas to the UK. Um, and he's so he cited international law and said, under international law, you can target civilians or civilian casualties are acceptable as a consequence of legitimate military action or something like that. And in which case, a lot of what Israel is doing is completely justifiable, right? They're, prov- they're saying, look, the reason we did this is because uh, there's a military commander there who wants to kill them. Unfortunately, um, there are lots of civilians surrounding them. So yeah, even under international law, a lot of what Israel is doing is completely justifiable. Um, and so then what did Alistair Campbell then go on to do? He had to kind of cast aspersions on, well, really, was there someone there? Israel's not being very clear about uh, explaining itself. Um, and of course, no other government is under such a rigor and wartime to explain every single military action that it takes. So, no, but I think so. I think that's a good point, Daniel, that even under their own standards, it's not actually clear that Israel's in the wrong and probably is actually quite justified. And also that international law as a body of knowledge is probably contradictory, though that's probably why we're getting this kind of confusion. Yeah, and uh, so I have like two more points I want to bring up. So one thing about, yeah, the this thing about like casualties are too high. And yeah, there is so much of like, uh, you can just say things without like backing them up. And, and when you say things like, okay, the casualties are too high. Okay, so what are the, like, what what amount of casualties are okay? Uh, I'm trying to remember what are the casualties right now. Isn't it like... 15,000? Um, Am I making it, that up? Um, I hadn't heard that number, but it's it was not too far below that the last time I saw it. So, yeah, that's probably Okay, right. let's just assume it, it, it's like 15,000, I, I hope. Or yeah. I think I saw it uh, just today. Uh, and, okay, so what? 10,000? 10,000 be okay? 5,000? Uh, yeah. w- like, what, what kind of uh, standard do you even use for that? I mean, I've been... This is a pretty dark and bad joke but i was playing around with the idea of like doing spreadsheet of points if like okay if you uh if you kill a militant that's one point if you kill civilians it's two points and you know with every attack you have to like equalize it uh yeah. but what is the like they, they always talk about it but it's never they never talk about the other side they never talk about okay what what should the is what should israel do uh yeah, I mean, no, it's a good point. Why do the numbers actually matter? Um, in the sense that morality isn't a calculus. Like utilitarianism is wrong um, in the sense that the war wouldn't, surely they wouldn't even think the war is suddenly justifiable if it were 499 people. But when it's 500 people, whoa, 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 that's suddenly too many. Or, you know, now let's say it's 15,000. What is the principal difference between 15,000 and 12,000 and 9,000 and so on? There isn't one. War is obscene of it in and of itself on principle. Or it's not, or you don't believe it is. Um, the actual number of how many lives it's taken is not is neither here nor there. It might increase, we might hear a larger number and feel greater disgust because of how terrible, but it doesn't philosophically change anything. Um, 
and there was another point I was going to say. You said something, but I've, it has escaped me. So what else were you going to say? Uh, I was going to talk a little bit about, uh, and I mentioned it before the show, is about how like these nations like don't care about like their own citizens. Because uh, one thing that happened even during the October 7 attacks uh, was that not just Israelis died, a lot of foreign nationals died. Uh, I, uh, a no, not a huge number of them, but uh, a good amount of them were then taken as hostages. So you had like foreign national hostages in Gaza. Uh, and, and I looked it up and France is actually the biggest one uh, during the October 7 attack. Uh, I'm trying to, I think it's like 40 or 30 people died. And, uh, and you know, there, there have been a lot of from the other nations, but th th like, is this the, is this what I should take from it? Like if I, if something happens to me in another country, uh, I'm like my country is not gonna care about me. Like, do do I lose my rights uh, as soon as I like leave my country? I mean, that's yeah. that's really scary to me. That uh, I, you know, you would go to a nation and your own nation would say, well, you know, screw it. Uh, and it doesn't help. There's this like gray area. Like, I would understand it if, uh, it, and I'm wondering if if there is such a thing uh, that you know. No, well, you have like travel advisory. I will not understand if uh, your nation says, okay, if you go to, you know, China and something happens to you, we cannot like help you. But it would be different if you go to, for example, the UK, because there is a certain relation between the countries. But if the, if we are in such a gray zone, I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that, that the, you know, France like doesn't care about like their own people who died in Israel. Yeah. I think a lot of Western nations are like that. And it's something that for the past few years has really struck me. And I think I think the root of this is essentially a kind of unprincipled realpolitik like you were talking about. And I think actually realpolitik and that whole perspective, whether we take it back to Kissinger or some people say it goes further back, I think is worth endlessly talking about because of how damaging it is on foreign affairs. But so, for example, in 2018, in the UK, we had a thing called the Salisbury poisoning. Um, and this is to do with Russia, it's not to do with Hamas, but I think it kind of, it gets to the same issue. Um, Russia decided that it would send two of its agents over um, and assassinate a former <clears throat> Russian intelligence officer who was living here with his daughter, right? And they did it with a nerve agent called Novichok. And essentially the poison or the nerve agent was put on the handle of their front door or their car or something kind of crazy. And so when they just touched it, um, like the guy was poisoned and he touched his daughter and she was poisoned. And they were found in Salisbury on a bench having died. And essentially anything that they came into contact with was contaminated. That's how sort of virulent this was. And so um, the police officer who investigated their house after they were found dead, because they didn't instantly know what it was, um, was poisoned from it because he touched the door handle, right? Um, a lot of the surrounding wildlife was almost destroyed. So <clears throat> if Salisbury's on a river, um, if it gets into the river, it poisons the water. If it gets to the animals, it poisons um, you know, it poisons all of those. It poisons all the animals who eat them, kills a huge amount of livestock in the surrounding area. So it was almost a huge disaster, not only for killing people, but for killing, for destroying the local environment, which has a, you know, a huge impact. Not like in a green, uh, bunny-hugging kind of way, but in a, but in a kind of uh, economic impact, which is also terrible. Um, and that's a huge thing for Russia to have done. It's, it's a, we're very lucky it wasn't more of a disaster. 
but the British government was speaking openly in Parliament about how Russia's done this. They've got reliable intelligence. They know the poison. They know who did it. Um, now, what did they do about that? Not really anything. I think they they may have suspended diplomatic relations for a while. Um, they didn't freeze the bank accounts of Russian oligarchs who are everyone knows live in London, who are buying up lots of property, and people complain about it all the time. Um, they didn't do any of those things. They didn't declare war. Why didn't they? And think about it. In principle, why shouldn't you declare war? It's a very nervous thing <laughs> to me, the prospect of going to war with someone. Um, but why Why not do that? Why is not poisoning this people in another country? Why is that not a warlike act? And why? And they poisoned people before. They poisoned Litvinenko in London in 2004, I think it was. So the thing that I remember thinking after that was essentially that the British government doesn't have a principled value for its own citizens' lives, the lives of people who live here, and won't really stand up to defend them um, against foreign nations, unless those foreign nations really do something major. You know, just here or there, kill some people, damage our, our country, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they can, yeah, they'll get away with that, because we don't have the nerve to stand up against them and do it, uh, and stop them doing it. Um, and to bring this back around, to Hamas, people, British civilians were killed in Israel as well, along with the US and lots of other places. There were stories in the news of a father from Liverpool who was devastated because his daughter was taken hostage, right? And she was called Emily, Emily Hand. Um, now, our government might have levered diplomatic pressure and would have levered it upon Israel, unfortunately, um, to try and get that back, but they didn't really do very much. And so I think a consequence of this unprincipled perspective is not actually valuing your own civilians lives if you asked i think our governments they would probably say that they do but they don't take the action necessary to show that they value them when it's when it counts so i think it's terrible yeah and and it's even sadder to see that they do care about some people but it's never their own citizens it's always the other uh and right now it's the palestinians but you know at some other point it's it's always going to be someone else but not their own citizens yeah. uh they probably feel supposed to be a Palestinian as well because the whole world's hearts are bleeding for you and yet you're having your shit bombed out of you. So the whole world will bitch and moan about it all day long. Yet will they actually stop Israel from doing what, from their own perspective, is a terrible thing? No, they won't. So what? So stop doing that. <laughs> like, you know, Israel has was attacked. It has the right to do this. Stop issuing all this moral condemnation on them. Or if you, re if you really think it's that bad, stand up and do something. But they won't. Uh, let me thank our super chatters. We had quite a few. So first, thank you, Jonathan, uh, for your ten dollars. Thank you, Bonnie, for our one dollar. Bonnie's donating every day, uh, and I think so is Jonathan. So that's also admirable. Uh, thank you, Gail, two dollars, and thank you, Jonathan, again for one dollar. So, Morgan, do you have uh, anything to say before we wrap up? Um, not too much. Um, aside from that I think the French people will be much better off when Emmanuel Macron is out of office. Um, I remember when he was elected and he represented to me just the kind of continuing embodiment of corruption. I think I may have said earlier that he never uh, has worked outside of government, but that's, I think he was a private sector before that, but you know, oh well, but just correcting my mistake. But yeah, I think he's a symbol of status quo corruption and we need to get away from that. We need to really get away from the status quo and I think his comments on Israel and Hamas are symptomatic of the status quo attitude, which is what's leading to the conflict continuing. So we need to get away from this.
And one way to get away from it slowly is to support Ayn Rand Center UK. Uh, make sure to become a member. And if you cannot support us financially, make sure to like, share, uh, subscribe, and make sure this message is heard. Uh, thank you, Morgan. And thank you, everyone. And bye-bye.